This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance. And I'm Sim Wee Boon. Charlie Munger, Vice President of Berkshire Hathaway, is often overshadowed by his colleague Warren Buffett. However, according to many, much of the investment philosophy employed by Buffett and Berkshire can be attributed to Munger's influence. And if you're a keen follower of Berkshire Hathaway, you'd be familiar with the relationship that they have, you know, the wit that they share during their annual meetings when shareholders would pepper the two with queries during the Q&A. Buffett usually with his insightful thoughts, while Munger answers with his dry, witty remarks that often leave listeners in stitches. So who exactly is Charlie Munger and what are the lessons that you can learn from this man? Well, joining me to discuss this is Rajan Devadasan, a licensed financial planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia Berhad and the CEO of RD Wealth Creation, a consultancy firm. Okay, uh, good morning, Rajan. Thank you for joining us today. Let's start with this. Who exactly is Charlie Munger and how significant is he to Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway? Hi, Sin. Thanks for the um, introduction. Thanks for the invitation. I have to start by saying that I am a mega fanboy, you know, of both Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Over the, uh, I don't know, close to 25, more than 25, close to 30 years that I've actually been aware of Berkshire Hathaway, um, obviously for very clear reasons, you know, Warren Buffett is like the elephant in the room, the one that people always focus on. He has a reputation of being the greatest investor the world has ever seen. Um, but I think a lot of people who are aware of Buffett are not so aware of his vice chairman, Charlie Munger. And um, th- there's actually a little bit of a, of a personal connection. My late father was a lawyer in Malacca. Prior to a few months of his passing away, um, he was actually the oldest practicing lawyer in the state of Malacca and the second oldest practicing lawyer in the country. When I was in school, when I was young, my father used to tell me, without a shred of humility, he would say that he's a very good lawyer, and he actually was. He was a very good lawyer, But then he would quickly say, but he's a very bad businessman. Now, I was in school. I wasn't quite sure what this actually meant. But in the subsequent years and decades, um, as my father aged, as the size of his business actually began to shrink, I realized that all he was really talking about was his capacity to manage money. And years, years, many years later, um, when I started reading about Buffett and then began to pick up additional information about his friend, his partner, his vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, um, Charlie Munger, I was fascinated to learn that Munger actually started off in California as a real estate lawyer. And apparently, when he was running his law practice, he used to find it quite literally humiliating having to chase after clients who were slow in paying their bills. And because of that, he decided that he really wanted to be independently wealthy, so he never had to ask people for money. And I thought that was fascinating. And so what Munger did was that as he was developing his law practice, he actually spent very, very little money in percentage terms. And he set aside huge amounts of money and he began to invest. 
And as you begin to invest, as everyone who has gone on a long investment journey discovers, it takes time for you to build a money mindset. And Charlie naturally gravitated toward the teachings of the father of security analysis, Benjamin Graham. And uh, Buffett, of course, worked for Benjamin Graham. Buffett considers Benjamin Graham like a, a second father figure. And when the two of them finally met, it was like sparks occurred. And I think each one is actually better off for having had the other one in his life for decades. Okay, so how does Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett work together? How do you think that, you know, like you said, right, they would are better off having each other, right? Like, why is that? Like, what did each bring to the table for each other? There is um, an analogy or a metaphor, I'm not sure which one it is, where, that um, Buffett has referred to many times. That you can stand at the plate and you can hold your bat and when it comes to investing, you actually don't need to take a swing. If you're not comfortable, if it's outside your range, you don't need to worry you about it. You don't have it. to take every swing. You don't have to take every swing. And quite frankly, it makes sense to avoid most things. Buffett is very, very good at analysis and at saying no. But his capacity to say no pales in comparison to Charlie Munger's. Charlie has a reputation of being the abominable no man, which I thought was hilarious. Now, quite a few years ago, there was a book that came out called Poor Charlie's Almanac. Now, we're on radio, so people can't see, but I brought my incredibly hefty tome to show you. Poor Charlie's Almanac. Um, and it says the wit and wisdom of Charles T. Munger forward by Warren E. Buffett and edited by Peter D. Kaufman. I'd like to read a, a portion of the book, if it's okay with you, yeah, Sim, go ahead. that pertains directly to Charlie being the abominable nomad. Yep. Okay, so this first is a quote from Buffett. Warren Buffett saying, you just have to learn how to calibrate his answers. If you ask Charlie something and he says no, then we put all of our money in it. If he says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, then we make a more moderate investment. If you calibrate his answers, you'll get a lot of wisdom. A slightly different uh, perspective. Uh, this was an exchange at one time Berkshire shareholders meeting. They meet once a year and it's a fantastic Q&A. And after Warren had explained something in response to a question, I'm not sure what it was, Warren said, Charlie, do you have any additional comment? And Charlie said, no, I think you said no perfectly. <laughs> and I think the ability to say no more often than yes is very, very wise. Yes. I know that in my own professional development, um, the most effective time management tool is the word no. That's very true. Uh, you know, especially in this day and age, right, where work can be overwhelming. You know, you come to work on a Monday and you suddenly see a uh, hundred to-do lists, right? There is a, a kind of like a way to, of teaching you can help help yourself where, you know, instead of making a to-do list, you make a to-not-do list where you write a list of what you're not going to be doing today, what you're not going to be this week. And you will find that that strategy calming. It gives you back control and you are ready to set off the work with uh, the work week you know and i think that philosophy is somewhat applicable towards investing as well you know and it takes it takes that abominable no man 
attitude, right? Where, you know, and it's very, very appropriate for these times where a lot of where the stocks, very expensive stocks are now cheaper. And it's, you know, if you have a, if you have cash, you know, if you're in a highly liquid position, you know, you're very tempted to dive in, you know, now's the time to buy, now's the time to buy out, buy the dip as they call it, you know. But, you know, looking at this and looking what and hearing what you just said, right, you know, times like this, times where it's very volatile, where you, everyone's looking for an opportunity, right? it might be wiser to say no, it might be wiser to take a step back and be like, what's the risk and what's the danger of jumping into this now, right? Um there is, um, again, in the same book and in yep. the same Charlie as the abominable no man section, there is a quote from a chap called Chuck Rickerhauser. Um, like Charlie Munger, a lawyer and an ex-partner of a firm. And apparently, um, they've been friends since the year I was born. I was born in 1964. And the note says, former Munger Tolls partner and friend since 1964. Let me just read this portion to you. I think it's very illuminating. Warren told me a story once back in the early days of their relationship. So this is Chuck Rickerhauser speaking. Warren Buffett is telling the story early in the relationship of Warren and Charlie. Buffett and Munger. Warren told me a story once that back in the early days of their relationship when they had no financial connection and each had an investment partnership, Warren would frequently call up Charlie and say, I'm thinking of doing something and describe it. And Charlie would say, my God, are you kidding? There's this risk and that risk. They'd go right through all these risks that Charlie saw. And Warren would usually say, I think you're right. But once in a while, he would say, Charlie, I've heard everything you said, but I think I'm going to go ahead. Warren said that it wasn't until that instant that he'd learn what Charlie really thought, because occasionally Charlie would respond, Warren, if you do it, could I have a percentage of it? People often think of Charlie as identifying risks and saying no but it was his ability to identify the times to ask for a percentage that was most valuable. So a lesson for anyone looking for their billion is you always need that partner with you to bounce off ideas and help you identify risk and occasionally chip in. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense and I'm Simwee Boon. And today's topic is Charlie Munger, the man beside Warren Buffett, the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. My guest today is Rajan Devadasan, a licensed financial planner with Menu Life Investment Management Berhard and CEO of the consultancy RD Wealth Creation. And we're talking about what we can learn from someone like Charlie Munger. And now what I want to talk about is what exactly are his investment principles? You know, how do they differ from Warren Buffett or do they complement each how did he approach it? I do like the fact that because Charlie has the reputation of being the abominable no man, it's very, very clear that he has a preference for actually, most of the time, playing it safe. He believes that you can have great success if you are consistently not stupid. Have you ever been in a situation where, let's say you're at a cocktail party and you stroll in and you've got all these alpha males. You stroll in, and then depending on whether you're an alpha male, so you've got to figure out whether you're going to exert yourself or whether you sit back and just listen. And 
you know, sometimes you get a situation where you can tell that people are speaking only to hear their own voice mm. and to assert their dominance in being perceived at this, as the smartest person in the room. That phrase, smartest person in the room, I think it's fascinating when it comes to investing. I think people actually try very, very hard to do something like super intelligent and uh, you've got to be very, very careful when you're dealing with, um, let's say, financial advisors who start throwing so much jargon that you think, oh, this person must be very clever. And therefore, even though I don't understand it, I'll put money there. That mm. is not wise. Yeah. Charlie Munger, I think, believes that what we need to do instead of trying to sound smart all the time is to be consistently not stupid. And the way that you do that is to create an informational edge. Both Charlie and Warren are voracious readers. I mean, read and read and read and read and then read some more. <laughs> and <clears throat> I think both of them also adopt the view, which I think is very wise, that you don't just um, read things that you agree with. You yes. want to basically try and take in information that can be, let's say, um, on opposite ends of a, of a knowledge spectrum or a perspective spectrum. Yep. Just keep reading and then run things through the filter of your mind so that over time you create an informational edge. And I, I love that phrase. So when Charlie talks about playing it safe, consistently don't be stupid. Uh, create an informational edge. And there is something called your circle of competence. You know, we have a big wide world. Nobody can possibly understand everything in the investment scene. Yep. And there are obviously far more things outside than inside our circle of competence. And so Charlie talks about knowing your circle of competence and staying inside it. That, I think, is one of Charlie's um, key principles. Another one is something called, you know, be on the lookout for something uh, that might be described as a, I think the Charlie Munger term is Lollapalooza effect. And what that basically means is this constant synergy where you have a company that can bring in or, or take advantage of different societal trends, economic trends, business realities, and you end up with a one plus one equals three, which most of us would understand as um, uh, synergy. Mm -hmm. And Coca-Cola, of course, is the prime example. The other thing that Charlie believes is, yes, you can, all of us should really learn from our own mistakes, but it's far more valuable to learn from the mistakes of other people, mm -hmm. which goes back to read and read and read. And then maybe read and think, read and think, read and think, eventually... Another principle that he has is um, become a knowledge version of a Swiss army knife. Mm. Adopt a multidisciplinary approach. For instance, when I am asked, um, if I'm speaking at a webinar or at a conference or whatever, and I'm asked by participants, um, Rajan, how, how can I get better? What can I learn? And I very often point them to a list of book titles that I created many years ago. Um, and they basically cover different disciplines. And I think if you want to be a successful investor, you need to read about economics. 
You need to read about business. You need to read about financial planning. Um, there's also something called Charlie's um, investment checklist. So as far as I can tell, and like I said, I am, I'm not like the world's number one expert on Charlie Munger, <laughs> but uh, based on the little bit of research I've done, this is what I've been able to find out. Uh, Charlie's checklist, number one, you assess risk. And I think this is tied to his reputation, justified reputation mm-hmm. as the abominable nomad. <laughs> assess the risk. Don't say yes very often. Number two, be independent. When Charlie talks about independence, he says, don't follow the herd. Listen, Mm. think. Number three, uh, Charlie says to exercise intellectual humility. I love that phrase. Mm. Humility in general, I think, is important for all of us. But exercising intellectual humility means know what you do not know. Mm. And don't wing it. If you need to bring in experts, but... Also, continue to focus on building this informational edge so that there are certain things that you know far better than anyone else. Um, Charlie also says we've got to have patience. Everyone says this, right? But the reason that we have to have patience is this. We don't want to interrupt the working out of what Einstein called or maybe apocryphally called the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. Mm. So when you've made the right decision, in your entry, allow the returns to compound. Yes. Unfortunately, with far too many investments nowadays, it's very much, uh, you know, you've got to trade and you've got to take your profit, etc. But the, what you want to do is to look out for something that's actually going to ride and take you all the way to the heavens, as it were, um, just by allowing you to hang on. So I think there has to be a balance. But patience is really important. And you've got to have a a real sense of decisiveness. Once you make a decision, make a decision. Mm. No problems at all saying no most of the time. But when you finally think that, ah, this makes sense, it's so difficult to find something that may be a long-term compounding engine and it makes sense, then go in big, back up the truck (laughs) and you load up as much as you possibly can. I think when you put all of this together, there are a couple of investment filters that Charlie says we should actually use. One is, and Buffett talks about this all the time, look for great management. And then share of mind. This one is really fascinating. If I were to just throw things out at you and ask you what company comes to mind when we talk about uh, great movies for kids, what would you say? Disney. Absolutely. There's no doubt. Uh, If you talk about Killer handphones, what would you say? Apple. Absolutely. Um, tomato ketchup. Heinz. Yep. Yeah. And um, soft drink, dominant. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And you have those companies that have tremendous share of mind. And then you've got the also runs and that they, they operate in the commodity space. And then everyone has to compete mm-hmm. based on price. But when there are companies that have tremendous share of mind, there is enormous pricing power. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to charge 10% more, 20% more, 30% more than your competitors. And that over time allows you to actually build enterprise value. So how does then these checklists and the way he approaches this influence your own personal principles when it comes to investing then? Both Buffett and Munger 
have gone on record saying rather disparaging things about diversification. Yes, and you, and so you like diversification. I, I do like diversification. Yeah. But what I also know is that over-diversification hurts returns. Mm-hmm. However, I do like appropriate diversification. So I want to say this. When you just listen to these two billionaires speak and they speak disparagingly about diversification, you've actually got to look deeply at what they're talking about. Their primary investment vehicle is the listed company, Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway is Warren Buffett's canvas. It is deemed to be the best place in corporate America for people who have actually built up their private companies. They're now at the stage where, you know, they want to cash out uh, and they want to make sure that their people are taken care of. And that's why Buffett doesn't go in for um, you know aggressive takeovers, he basically says, "If you don't want us there, we won't be there. But if you need a white knight, and if the parameters match, then it makes sense." So my point is this: Berkshire Hathaway internally is enormously diversified. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I like diversification. I know that excessive diversification hurts returns, but I believe that when we talk about the wisdom of not putting all our eggs in one basket, that's the standard English saying, right? Mm -hmm. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I believe in the importance of diversifying across three distinct dimensions. Mm -hmm. Number one, we should diversify across different asset classes. Examples might be cash. Others would be fixed income, equities, investment real estate, um, and alternative investments. Alternatives, um, you, know, you could have hedge funds, which are not readily available in Malaysia, but the borders reopened in Singapore, so some people yep. may want to stroll over there. Private equity, which is under tremendous duress right now. Yeah. Uh, structured products that insurance companies may put together, foreign currency. But my favorite in general, and particularly right now, would be commodities. Mm, okay. Uh, so diversify across three dimensions. Number one, across different asset classes. Number two, across different geographic regions. Don't put all your money in Malaysia. Don't put all your money in Singapore. Don't put all your money in Australia. Don't put all your money in China. Don't put all your money in Japan. Don't put all your money in the US, in Canada, in Mexico, in Latin America, or specifically in Argentina, (laughs) or Peru, or Chile, or Brazil, or whatever. As much as you can, spread your money across the planet. But... I guess learning from Charlie, learn how to say no more often than you would say yes. Because there are a lot of countries that are really in very bad shape right now. Yep, yep. Um, and the third dimension of diversification that I would advocate would be diversify across a long timeline. If you end up with a durian runto type situation, a windfall, and let's say Sim, you, you, someone gives you five million ringgit, sits on your lap. Sounds good. And, you know, the money is burning a hole in your pocket or in your bank account. You then need to figure out, well, I want to go put it in. If you take all that money and put plonk it all down in the same week, you're going to feel very depressed if two weeks from now we have a mega 30% correction. <laughs> but if you actually take your time and keep the bulk of the money maybe in uh, cash and fixed income, and then as you begin to move your money gradually, maybe over you know, consistently every month over two years or three years or five years, you have a much better chance of riding the ups and downs. And over time, such moves allow you to bring down the weighted average cost of your investments. And this would be the time of planting or cultivation. What this means is if it works out well, later on when things take off 
and it's time for harvest at higher prices, you will have much better CAGR or compounded annualized growth rates. Okay, so that's uh, the principles uh, that Rajan have for us. And with that, we have to come to a close because that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Rajan David Dasan, a licensed financial planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia Perhat and the CEO of consultancy firm RD Wealth Creation. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. I'm Simwe Boon from The Morning Run. We've got the 10am news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise BFM 89.9. Ringgit and sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.